folks. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as I am recording this. Uh, still pretty late. I, I had to get to a couple things. Uh, wanted to make sure that I did due diligence on the numbers that I pulled for this podcast, because this is going to be a... Uh, it's an off-day podcast where the Nuggets had today off. They actually didn't practice today. They probably went in, watched film a little bit. but uh, So there are some things that they could take from it, and there are some things that media probably could have asked, but nothing nothing major here, uh, without Jokic especially. like We got some good questions answered yesterday. I asked Bones about hot sauce. It was kind of fun. Uh, but we got an off day, and with that, I decided that this felt like a pretty good time to kind of talk about the defining numbers for Denver so far where they have been a, a really solid team to this point, but a very defined team in what they're good at, what they're bad at, where they're struggling, uh, where certain things could probably correct uh, by regressing to the mean and things of that nature. But I wanted to make sure to bring some good numbers and kind of frame the discussion about what I think is going right and what I think is going wrong. And just to be able to share some of my, some of my insights overall. Because as you know, I'm, I'm a rotation guy. I'm a numbers guy. This is my background. I think I've grown in a variety of other ways uh, in, in terms of watching and evaluating the game. But this is where I'm going to fall back. And I feel like I'm, I'm one of the best here to be able to talk about the Nuggets from a statistical perspective. So let's get into it. Uh, the 10 defining stats of who the Nuggets have been to this point in the 2021-2022 season. Do five in the first segment, five in the second segment, and then we're going to go around the league in the third one. So stay around, stick around if you are interested in that. First stat, finishing at the rim. The Nuggets have been one of the best teams at the rim in the NBA so far this year. And here's what I mean by that. On offense, they are shooting 72% at the rim on 25.5 field goals per game. That's really good. 72% is much higher than any other team in the NBA. They have been fantastic on that end. And it's really saved them because their three-point shooting has been bad, and we will get to that for sure. But the finishing at the rim on the offensive end, they get there enough. Uh, They have the average frequency for uh, getting to the rim just around the NBA. They they don't do it too much, but they get there enough. And that has really helped prop up what, what is a pretty bad offense. And I think it has to be the ethos of both the starters and the bench going forward. Because the starters with Jokic, you want him to get around the rim as much as possible. Aaron Gordon, Will Barton, uh, even Monte Morris, he finishes at the rim excellently. So I've been really impressed with their ability to get to the rim in the starting unit. Bench unit, we've talked about that ad nauseum. That has been the main Achilles heel for the bench is that they don't get there enough. When they do get there, they're usually pretty good. Usually the attempts that they get are dunks and layups and uh, being able to finish on floaters and things like that. You want to be able to get there as frequently as possible because 
in the NBA, the most efficient offenses are the ones that get to the rim, get to the corner three, and get to the line. And especially now where contact on the perimeter is being, uh, it's it's becoming a, a more focal poor, focal point of the game. Excuse me. Uh, that to me seems like a thing that Denver needs to continue to emphasize. On the defensive end, they're allowing sixty eight percent at the rim, which isn't good. That is the fifth highest field goal percentage in the game, but it is on a twenty two point seven field goal attempts per game, which is the fourth lowest frequency. That is the reason, above all else, why Denver's defense has been good. Because like I said, getting to the rim is king in the NBA. Finishing at the rim is king. Denver's defense, they don't do a great job of protecting the rim once people get there. But the problem and what most opposing offenses really struggle with when they play Denver is they don't get to the rim enough. They don't get to the restricted area enough. They get to the non-restricted area in the paint, and we'll get to that in the second point, because the second point for Denver is shot location. Shot location and effort has made this defense great. Like I talked about, you, you could allow the fourth fewest field goal attempts at the rim. That's really good. There is a balance between that and corner threes. Denver's allowing the ninth most corner threes in the NBA, which is always a balance, but teams are shooting only 35% from the corners against the Nuggets. They shot a higher percentage last year, and that's one of the reasons why Denver has really improved between last year and this year. You would think that with the way that Denver is allowing teams fewer field goal attempts at the rim, that they will be settling for mid-range shots. And that's partially true. But the long mid-range shots, the ones that are outside of the paint, the opposing teams actually aren't going to those that often. Denver's allowing the fourth fewest field goal attempts from mid-range. And they're also allowing the third lowest field goal percentage on those shots. They do a great job of cutting off the easy mid-range attempts because that's where teams are in so many cases. When you when you play drop defense, when you play a, a very soft defense, if teams aren't staying connected, then the open mid-range jumpers, the open pick and pops, those are the ones where they're kind of backbreaking for the defense because if an opponent hits 50% on those, they're doing really well and they kind of break your scheme. Because most half-court defenses now, if you allow one point per possession, then you're doing it wrong. You have to be allowing fewer points than that. Denver's allowing about 33% on field goal attempts in the mid-range area, which is really good. But here's the kicker. They are allowing the sixth most field goal attempts in the paint non-restricted area. This is what I call the floater zone. This is what I call the area where Nikola Jokic thrives. He doesn't always get all the way to the rim, but when he's in the paint 
and he's going down Main Street, and there's somebody that's parked under the rim, and he gets the ball off the dribble and takes a floater, and he makes it every single time because he's Nikola Jokic, that's backbreaking for the defense. Because most of the time, when players get stopped outside of the restricted area, it's actually just as bad as taking a mid-range attempt, despite the fact that they're a lot closer. Usually, the restricted area is the best area. Corner three is the second best. Above the break is the third best. Open mid-range attempts are the fourth best place to get a shot. And then the last and the least efficient place on the floor can often be in the paint around the restricted area because you're dealing with a contest. You're dealing with a tall seven-footer that is contesting a lot of those shots. And though Denver is averaging, they're allowing an average field goal percentage in those areas, they've actually been really good because by allowing a bunch of those shots and removing the lowest, uh, removing the shots right at the rim, they have become a much better defense overall. This is a really good sign. This uh, shot location data that we're getting so far from this Nuggets team, they're forcing the right shots. And they're always going to have to make up for uh, being a little bit slower. Jokic isn't the most speedy guy. He can't switch on to everybody. Morris is a little bit small. Barton sometimes gets a little bit disconnected. Porter can be a little bit spacey sometimes. But most of the time, when Denver's best defensive units are out there, They are doing a great job because they're allowing shots in the right places. They're playing fundamental defense. They're not turning people over a ton, but they're mostly doing a great job of doing everything else, which is great. Number three, the offensive rebounding versus transition defense battle. This has been an ongoing thing in the NBA for a long time. As teams are sending fewer players to the glass, as offensive teams are sending fewer and fewer offensive rebounders, they are favoring getting back in transition because the worst and most debilitating shot that you can give up is a wide open transition possession where the opposing team either works for a wide open three or they get right to the rim for a layup or a dunk or an alley-oop or something, something that gets the crowd hyped, something that gets the home crowd just absolutely buzzed and nuts and whatever. Those are the momentum killers. And so Denver, they have done a great job this year. Last year, they weren't so good. This year, they have been great. But it's come at the cost of their offensive rebounding. They are 26th in the NBA in offensive rebounding on basketball reference. That has contributed in part to their offensive decline because last year Denver was second in the NBA in offensive rebounding. It's a big tra- it's a big change. It's a really really big change. But there is a direct correlation between the bad offensive rebounding and the really great transition defense. Denver is fifth in transition defense frequency 
on cleaning the glass. They are also fourth in points per play and transition allowed, meaning that when teams do get out of the transition against them, when they push the tempo, Denver's defense has been good. Because they have more players back, because they're hustling back, because they're taking it seriously, that's one of the things that they have really tried to change after last season where they struggled in transition. Denver's half-court defense, they ranked ninth in points allowed. That's pretty good. That's a, that's a solid foundation for which to build on. But so much of the variance in defense comes from those transition possessions. Because if you're a, if you're a great half-court defense, but you allow a lot of transition baskets because your offense is bad, then it actually just sabotages you on the defensive end. Denver, they have been great on both sides. And it's really pushed them over the top, like limiting the transition points has pushed their defense over the top because they're ninth in half-court defense and they're fourth in transition defense. Doing both of those things has really changed their tone. It makes their defense look a lot more real rather than just maybe capitalizing on a hot streak or whatnot. So really been impressed with their defense. Let's move over to the offensive end because the three-point shooting, as great as the defense has been, the offense and the three-point shooting has been just as bad. Denver is third in the NBA. Or just kidding. They're 28th in the NBA in above-the-break three-point percentage. They are tied for 28th in the NBA in corner three-point percentage. That says to me that they can't shoot from anywhere. And it's not just one player. Michael Porter has really struggled, but he's not the only one. Uh, He is a a very important player when it comes to taking the tightly contested three-pointers. Denver, they don't take a ton of tightly contested three-pointers, but Porter is one of the players in the NBA that usually specializes in that. So they give him free reign to be able to do that as long as he works for some of the other better ones too. The problem so far, Denver is shooting 13%, 13 13.5% on tightly contested three-point attempts, which is the second lowest in the NBA. Porter is shooting 7%. That is a real number. He's one of 14 on tightly contested threes. Just hasn't made any of them. The rest of the team, not to be outdone, is four of 23 combined, which is also rough. They've actually, they've been better than him by like, they're like 17, 18%. Porter is 7%. But neither of those numbers are like good. But it really isn't uh, like, I'm using points four and five for three-point shooting because these are the tightly contested threes and here's some more location stuff. But Denver, and this is point number five, they are missing the open looks. And that has been even worse. Uh, On open threes, which NBA.com classifies as the defender is four to six feet away, Barton is shooting 50%. He's been fantastic. Jokic, 41%. Also fantastic. Porter, 12%. Not great. Monte Morris is 36%, which is good. Dozier is 15%. Bones is 
Jeff Green is 30%. Jamichael Green is 11%. Aaron Gordon is 14%. He's one of seven. And Faku is 33%, but he's only one of three. So Denver is not capitalizing for the most part on open threes. The only guys that are shooting an above average percentage are Barton at 50, Jokic at 41, Morris at 36, and that's really it. Because Jeff Green, I don't think you can say that 30% is an above average percentage. Now, wide open threes are potentially worse because as a team, Denver's 32% on wide open threes, which is the, the threes that you want to generate where you have to take them. And Denver's 29th. Barton's at 44%. Excellent. Jokic, 42%. Excellent. Porter, 41%. This is actually where he's thrived, where he gets to take his time, gets the wide open look, knows that he has to take it. Those are good. The other ones where he's really struggled are the ones that he's forced up because he kind of knows he has to take them because he's Michael Porter, but he probably shouldn't be while he's slumping. Monte Morris, 33%. That's not good enough for Monte. PJ Dozier, 36%. Fine. Bones Highland, 36%. Fine. Jeff Green, 12%. Not good. Jamichael Green, 18%. Not good. Aaron Gordon, 30%. Better, but not good. Like you want him to be above 35. Faku, 20%. He's 4 of 20, if I'm not mistaken. And then Austin Rivers, for shits and giggles, uh, 29%. He's 2 of 7. Denver needs to be better on wide open threes because they have been generating the shots that you hope for them to take. They just haven't been making enough of them. And it starts with Porter when he ultimately gets back because Barton and Jokic, there are only so many wide open threes that they are going to get and they've been making them. Morris has to be better. Uh, I think Dozier, when he's just open, needs to be better. Bones, same thing. But the real culprits here, uh, outside of Porter on his on the regular open threes, Jeff and Jamichael Green just need to shoot the ball better. They've been awful shooting the ball. And it was a real kick uh, watching Zeke Naji shoot two of three last night from three, where he got the wide open threes and immediately took advantage of them. And Jeff and Jamichael Green just haven't done that yet. So that has really been debilitating for Denver's bench when they've been out there. So I'm very curious to see what happens to the rotation going forward and whether Zeke Naji has earned himself another opportunity. Because, I mean, if you have a career high and you shoot the ball efficiently and you do what you're asked to do, it makes sense to get another opportunity. So we will see. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss more data points. But first, uh, if you are a football fan, are you ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. When a team scores, you score, just as we all know. Same game parlays have been a such a big deal 
for what DraftKings Sportsbook has been putting out there. It's a new feature that they've been putting out there, and you can combine multiple bets for the same game for a bigger payout. I've used this feature before. I've hit on parlays before. It is the best feeling that when you put together something and it hits, that is just a, a big, big deal uh, because it's it's just one of those great things where you turn a small amount of money into a large amount of money real quick, and you, you just love to see that. So I love using that feature on DraftKings, and you know that they're safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. It is great to have. So if you do download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, make sure to use promo code MHS. You can bet $1 on either team. You'll win $100 in free bets. Uh, that's DraftKings.com. They're an official sports betting partner of the NFL, as you know. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers-only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Right back at it. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you could, it would be awesome to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. Always love to see the new reviews come in when they do. Uh, so if you haven't written a review before, uh, make sure to let people know that you enjoy the show. I, I would really appreciate it. All right. Next five defining stats for this Nuggets team. Let's look at Jokic's numbers. Uh, I just want to this is my my opportunity to let everybody know that Nikola Jokic is just a better player than he was last year, which is really cool. From two-point range, 67.8% versus 60.6% last year. From three-point range, 40% versus 38.8%. Points, a little bit down, 25.4 versus 26.4. That's the only thing that's really down outside of assists, which we'll talk about. Rebounds, 13.6 versus 10.8. Assists, 5.7 versus 8.3. Steals, 1.6 versus 1.3. Blocks, 1.0 versus 0.7. So the defensive numbers have just been so much better. Uh, not not so much better. They've been moderately better. Uh, 0.3 addition to his steals, 0.3 addition to his blocks. 2.8 rebounds more per game in fewer minutes is actually a really big deal. Like that's a uh that is something that I think stands out because of the effort because of that factor. Uh Denver has needed him and they've needed him to kind of patrol the paint a little bit more and he has responded in kind. Uh but he's also responded in other areas too. Career high usage rate, career high true shooting percentage, Career highs in rebounding rate, steal rate, block rate. His box plus minus on the year on basketball reference is insane at plus 14.3. It is so far ahead of everybody else. Uh, it's just it's just insane to think about that a player like him, who he just had a kid, doesn't have Jamal Murray. Michael Porter has been struggling for the entire year. Once you get past those guys in the rotation, like Will Barton has stepped up, but there's just not a lot of help going on. 
and yet he just keeps delivering every single night. It has been insane. I currently have him second in the MVP race behind Steph Curry, but I do not think that Steph is a better player than Jokic. And I also think that Golden State being 10-1 and really contributes to that. Like, Steph has been very, very, very good, uh, but I think that Jokic has been the best player in the NBA. It's over Steph, over KD, over Giannis. He deserves that credit. He's been getting that credit. And him being able to do that, carrying the Nuggets to where they are outside of last game where he didn't play, if he can continue to do just that, everybody else kind of falls into place around him. Then once Porter kind of writes the ship, if he does, once Murray gets back into the fold, Denver's just going to be so dangerous because of not just Jokic, but number seven, Will Barton. Will Barton is better than he ever was. He has career highs in points, assists, steals, blocks, field goal percentage, two-point percentage, three-point percentage. This version of Will Barton is a borderline all-star. I posted about it today. And you look around at the end, the landscape of the NBA, and you, you know that Golden State's going to get at least one all-star. They'll probably get two between Curry and maybe Draymond. Phoenix, they will probably get, like, they're getting at CP3, I'd have to imagine. I bet they get Devin Booker too. Utah, they probably get two all-stars as well between Gobert and Mitchell. Shouldn't Denver get two all-stars if they're in fourth? It isn't just Jokic, despite the fact that Jokic is the best player. Barton has been just, at, not just as key, but like he has been the second best option. He has been the second option stepping up in place of Michael Porter, stepping up on, um, like defensively. Like Monte Morris isn't always going to be the guy defensively because they, they're going to need some extra size and Will Barton has always been ready to provide. I've called him a jack-of-all-trades in the past. And I think that really suits what he's doing now. Uh, he's filling in as the second option. He's the second leading wing defender over uh, behind Aaron Gordon. He's the second leading playmaker behind Jokic. It just seems like he has done a little bit of everything, and he's done it really well. He's also their leading three-point shooter right now because he stepped up in place of Porter. It's been really, really good. And I hope that he continues to play like this. I know that he's capable of continuing to play like this, but the pressure is just so high for him right now. He's putting a lot of pressure on himself. The team is playing him a lot of minutes. I hope they can get the minutes down because I am worried about a random injury, just kind of throwing this all out of whack. Because if that happens, then good God, I don't know where Denver goes from here. Number eight, the starters have been stable, but they can also get better. I really do think that, that this group of Jokic, Gordon, Porter, Barton, and Morris, they have definitely not hit their ceiling yet. And yet they're still plus 37 in 170 minutes. It's one of the best plus minuses in the NBA. 
They've played a bunch of minutes, and that's one of the reasons, but they've been effective during that time. But here's where they haven't been effective, is offensively. Only a 104.6 offensive rating, which just isn't really good. Usually teams, like if, if they're a really good offense, will be up at the 115-120 range. Now that number may have changed a little bit just because of the rule changes and just because of the the adjustments that teams are now having to make, but Denver's just not shooting the ball very well. 33% from three with that group. Um, Porter shooting 21% from three. While those five are out there, Morris is at 29%. Jokic only at 35. Barton at 41. Aaron Gordon, surprisingly, at 46% with that starting unit out there. Now, he's very selective with his threes. Takes the the wide open ones, and that's one of the reasons why they've been as as successful as they have with Gordon taking a a smaller role from a three-point shooting perspective. But they're also shooting like 64% from the line. And like you just can't do that, especially with that group. You want that group to be shooting 80% from the line. They're also struggling to get to the line in general. That lineup is in the fifth percentile for free throw rate on cleaning the glass, which is just so low. When you have Jokic and you have Barton and you have Gordon, you should be able to get some three, or you should be able to get some free throws. Denver has really struggled to draw contact with that group. They've been better with other groups, but Denver's overall weakness right now as a team is that they struggle to get to the free throw line offensively. I wonder how that changes when Porter kind of refocuses and gets to a better place. I wonder how that changes when Murray comes back. Does that change at all? I don't know. We're going to have to see. But the other big factor for Denver with that five-man unit is that they have 64 turnovers already. That's the most of any five-man unit in the NBA. Uh, they have a higher turnover rate. And I, I went back and I watched some of the turnovers. Just really careless. Careless with the basketball. Also not necessarily definitive. Where so much about turnovers is not just like you're being sloppy. It's not just like oh, the, the defense made a great play. It's about the offense not necessarily being definitive and not having the connectiveness that you need where you know what the other person is thinking all the time. You need to be in tune with each other 100%. And so many of these passes that Denver's throwing right now are bad passes because they weren't in tune with each other. There are some passes where they try to throw the ball into the post and they're not moving all the way over. They're trying to uh, make a jump pass and they have to change their their, their decision in the air and they don't throw a great pass as a result. So I do think that there is something there that they can improve as an offensive team, starting with that starting unit. Defensively, not a lot to complain about. 93.6 defensive rating when the starters are on the court. That's really, really good. And one of the reasons why, they don't force an inordinate amount of turnovers, but they prevent the easy baskets so well. They don't give up offensive rebounds. They rarely give up free throws. They do a great job of defending without fouling. 
forcing the opposing team to make an average to tough shot every single time. And that is a big deal. Number nine, let's move to the bench. Jamichael Green and Jeff Green. Pretty polarizing in terms of the uh, what they've done so far. They haven't shot the ball well. That's been one of the main reasons why the offense has not been good with the bench unit is that they were counting on those two to shoot 35% from three, 40% from three, maybe even better. And they just haven't been good enough uh, on cleaning the glass in 213 possessions. They have a minus 26 net rating. That's really, really bad. Now, there is a big factor there. With Faku Kimpazo, they are they've played 153 possessions of Faku, Jeff, and Jamichael. That's the vast majority of those minutes, about 75% of them. And they have a minus 39.5 net rating in those possessions. Now remove Faku, and you have the other 60 possessions, and they've been plus 8.5. They've actually been a positive in those other minutes. And 60 possessions is not a lot. Let me be clear. This is not a, a massive sample size that we're dealing with here. We're only 11 games in. But that is a stark difference where it's just one, it's just one player. And one of the reasons why is because Jeff and Jamichael lineups are built on the following. Those guys, they have to be pick and pop options, but they can't be the first and only shooters on the team. They need guard scorers surrounding them, players that can both shoot and get into the paint, kind of do everything. Jamichael and Jeff Green are role players. They are not players that are going to drive good offense. They were forced to be the first and second options with that bench group while Faku was out there because that's what he does. Faku sets up bigs. It's either with the the role where a big seven-footer is rolling down the middle of the floor and he passes to that guy, or it's a pick-and-pop where a six-foot-eight, six-foot-ten big man is taking advantage of their outside shooting and Faku is just giving them a little bit of space where they can get off their shot and then delivering an on-time pass. And he's been good at that. I don't think that Jeff and Jamichael Green have been lacking for good looks. They've missed a lot of good looks when Faku's delivering them the ball. But that can't be the only form of offense, and right now it is when Faku's on the court. So I know that a lot of people wanted to pronounce the Dos Verde lineup dead on arrival. But I don't think it's dead. I think it can be good. I think it can be helpful. I will also say that I think Zeke Naji can help. I don't think that he should just not play. But I'm not counting out Jeff and Jamichael Green. They need shooters and drivers around them. They need more fundamental defenders around them. That's just not what Faku has been at late. And the team seems to already be trending away from Faku lineups. Here are Faku's minutes in the the 11 games that Denver has played so far. 20, 19, 18, 19, 18, 17, 16, 14, 18, 1, and 7. 
that one minute was a garbage time minute, and the seven minutes last game were all in the first half, where he was out there for a little bit, it didn't work, he wasn't helpful, and they went to Marcus Howard instead. Bones is playing well. Zeke is performing well. Rivers has been better than Faku so far. I think this is where we're trending. I think that Faku is going to be out. I think that they're going to still try to surround Jeff and Jamichael Green lineups going forward. Maybe with a little bit of Zeke, Zeke Naji mixed in. But Bones Highland's going to be the guy. And I don't think that Faku can be the guy anymore. At least not with this group. Now, last thing, uh, point number 10. We haven't mentioned this guy at all tonight, P.J. Dozier. P.J.'s played 211 minutes, uh, has not been good this year. Here is his minute breakdown by position so far. Basketball reference has him at 70% of his minutes at small forward. Most of the minutes that he's played have been next to Either of the two greens, um, or it's like Porter and Jokic, or Gordon and Jokic, or or lineups like that. He does have 15% of his minutes at shooting guard, which are a lot of those lineups are when he's entering the game and he's playing next to Porter, Gordon, and Jokic. Those are good minutes. Those are good lineups. But he also has 15% of his minutes at power forward. A lot of that has come in the last few games, where... Jeff Green has moved into the starting group, and Jamichael Green is the only big, or Zeke Naji is the only big, and Dozier's playing the four. And I know that a lot of those have been by necessity, with Porter out, with Jokic out, but they've also been really bad. They're giving up too many offensive rebounds with that group, and I really do think that PJ, he's been in a tough spot. They haven't been able to play him in his natural position, which I think is the two. I don't think you want him to play the one, but I think you want him in the backcourt because he's a great defender. He defends guards really well. Defends switches onto wings really well, but you don't want him to have to do that for his entire time. That's a waste of his talents. He's also a good ball handler. He's a good creator for other people. But right now, nearly 50% of his shots have been three-pointers. And he's only shot 24% so far. He has really turned into a spot-up shooter for the most part. He'll run the occasional pick and roll, the occasional dribble handoff. And when he does, I feel like he looks pretty good most of the time. But a lot of the time, he's making room for Bones. He's making room for Will Barton. He's making room for Faku. Even making room for Austin Rivers a little bit, which, no, don't do that. P.J. Dozier should be taking every shot that Austin Rivers takes. Should be taking every shot that Faku takes. No, like, like no doubt about it. P.J. Dozier is not a spot-up shooter. He didn't come into the league as a three-point shooter, and you shouldn't be having him shoot that many threes. That's just not who he is. But I think a lot of his minutes at the three and the four have come when the ball is not in his hands. And people are creating shots for him. So he feels like that's his responsibility. And to to this point, it really has been his responsibility. It just shouldn't be. So when Michael Porter returns, I hope that we see more lineups where Michael Porter staggers with the bench 
You play lineups like Bones, PJ, MPJ, and then Dos Verde. Put put the ball in Bones' hands, but if it's not in Bones' hands, it's in PJ's hands, or it's in Michael Porter's hands, a little bit more frequently as a result. I think that's a good thing. I think that Denver should like that. They should want those three players especially to be given more responsibility because they're going to be important as the playoffs come around. You know what you get from Jokic. You know what you get from Will. You know what you get from Monte. You need to know what you can get from Bones, from PJ and MPJ in those situations. And I just think that they've kind of pushed PJ to the side lately. Part of that's his own doing because he hasn't been hitting shots, but I think they can put him into a couple better situations overall. But we'll see. Let's take a break. When we've come back, we are going to go around the league real quick. We'll be right back. Final segment here, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's look briefly at the East standings, the West standings, kind of check in with the rest of the league, see how things are going. I know this podcast has gone a little bit longer and and will go a little bit longer than people are used to, but I'm on a roll. Let's, Let's just keep it going. At the top of the Eastern Conference, you find the eight and three Miami, or not Miami. Miami's kind of fallen off a cliff lately. The Washington Wizards. 8-3, the fighting Wes Unselts. They've been awesome. Just really, really appreciate the job that Wes Unselt Jr. has done. And it's been mostly on the defensive end. Because Bradley Beal has not been good so far. They've actually kind of underperformed a little bit offensively. But Daniel Gafford has been pretty good. They've gotten enough production from their other guys. And they just seem like a team that is built upon the foundation of We are finally able to play good defense, and we are going to use that to our advantage. Because Catavius Caldwell-Pope, good defender. Kyle Kuzma, good defender. Spencer Dinwiddie, Bradley Beal, they're not good defenders, but they're trying. And Daniel Gafford's a really good defender. They've really figured it out, so really been impressed with Washington so far. I don't know when Denver plays them, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they look like when they come here. They also could be a team that sees some regression, but they also could see some positive regression because Bradley Beal has not been himself yet, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they look like when that does happen. Next is the Chicago Bulls. They're at two, or they're tied with Washington at the top of the league, eight and three as well. I think that they're fascinating, and another former nugget, Arturis Karnasovas. It's just been really, really great. They've made some great decisions in the offseason. I was a really big fan of their offseason because I thought it made sense from a production, from a versatility, from just every everything that they needed. Um, I'm going to talk about DeMar DeRozan in a little bit, but just been really impressed with what I've seen from them. Alex Caruso's great. Zach Levine should be on kind of the top 10, the lower end top 10 of an MVP ballot right now. 
I think that he shares enough of the credit with DeMar DeRozan that neither of them would win the award, but they've both been really, really good. Uh, You've got Brooklyn at three, Philly at four, Cleveland at five, tied with Miami at six, who they were in the, uh, they were in the driver's seat in the East, and then they played the West, and now they are not as good. So sort of stands out there. Uh, They are also tied with New York at seven, Toronto, seven and six. They have really performed well. I love Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes has been awesome. Uh, He's just really, really talented. I was on the right side of history with my Scotty Barnes takes. I had the entire group of Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, uh, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, and Scotty Barnes in one tier. I didn't think that anybody really separated themselves from that group. Um, I thought that they were all potentially all-stars slash superstar caliber players, and I still think that that makes some sense. This is going to be a really talented group. Um, by the way, don't don't look up my uh, my thoughts on Bones Highland back from that draft. That was a that was a miss from me. I uh, I didn't appreciate him enough. That's true. But the Milwaukee Bucks, all the way down at nine, um, they have been without so many of their starters. Um, it looks like Drew Holiday's back in the fold. Giannis has been around for the entire time, but they've been without Chris Middleton for a while. And I don't think that Brooke Lopez or Dante DiVincenzo have played at all, if I'm not mistaken. I feel like they've missed the entire season so far. So they are going to be fine. Six and six still. They've still got a positive point differential. Like, I think that they're still going to be just fine, but they need their health back. Like, that's kind of a given at this point. So, really interested in seeing what happens with them. Charlotte at 10, Boston at 11. Boston sucks. I I just don't, I don't think very highly of them. I think more highly of Indiana than I do of Boston, just having seen Indiana. And Indiana just lost to a team without their top three players. So, Boston, not very good. Need to see more from Jason Tatum. Need to see more from Jalen Brown. And we're not going to see a little bit of Jalen Brown for a while, so going to be interesting to see what Jason Tatum does. Uh, Atlanta, 13 in the conference. 4-8. and eight. Just haven't started well. They are one game better than the Orlando Magic and two games better than Detroit. That's not good. So we'll see what happens there. We're going to see Atlanta on Friday night tomorrow. Uh, So when you listen to this podcast, actually, you'll probably hear me talking about Atlanta. Denver is going to be, they're going to need to be very good against Trey Young. But I also think they have the personnel to do it. Even if it's Monte Morris, even if it's Will Barton, even if it's Aaron Gordon. Nikola Jokic has been so much better in the pick and roll. And that's just, that's going to be what they go to. So going to be a big test, in my opinion, for Jokic. Now let's go to the West, where Golden State is at the top. They're in sole possession of first place in either conference at 10-1. and one. Their, uh, their strength of schedule has actually been really low. That's what I will say, is that they have the lowest or the worst strength of schedule in the NBA. That will change at some point, but they are taking care of business. They're doing what you want them to do, and their point differential is very, very good. So... I'm very curious to see what happens when they face some better teams. Let's just look up their schedule real quickly, actually. 
I'm actually kind of curious in this. This is a because it seems like they've been facing some really easy teams for the most part. Uh, their next ten games: Chicago at Charlotte, at Brooklyn, at Cleveland, at Detroit, Toronto, Philly, Portland, at Clippers, at Phoenix, and then home versus Phoenix. So that's their next eleven. Um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see a lot better competition than what they face so far. I mean, here's what they face so far. At Lakers, home versus Clippers, at Sacramento, at Oklahoma City, home versus Memphis was their only loss in overtime. Oklahoma City again, Charlotte, New Orleans, Houston, Atlanta, Minnesota. That is a, let's just say it's not a murderer's row. So they could have some regression for sure. Utah is also in line for some regression, but they they regressed because they, they weren't playing great. And I didn't think that Rudy Gobert was playing that well. Uh, Rudy Gobert, uh, so Utah is actually, uh, they're in third. Phoenix is in second. But Utah's lost their last, they're only six and four in the last 10. Of course, they're eight and four overall. Uh, they had the, the, they still have the second best point differential in the NBA. And I do think that matters. But I'm just not really impressed with them. Not really impressed with Gobert this year. Uh, I think the Hassan Whiteside has given them just as much, and that's kind of crazy to say. Dallas and Denver are tied at seven and four, along with the Clippers. They actually have a three-way tie between Dallas, Denver, and LA, uh, and that has actually pushed Dallas to the front for whatever reason. I think it has to do with conference record, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, Dallas, they're not a good team. Though they're seven and four, they are not good. I am I'm not impressed with them in any way, shape, or form. The Clippers I am impressed with. They've been able to kind of step up, and I really do I take them more seriously than I do Dallas right now. Dallas is a minus three point differential in eleven games despite being seven and four. Because Luca's been awesome. Luca's been great in the clutch. Now the Lakers are seventh at seven and five. Somehow they've they've had a cakewalk of an easy schedule as well. Uh, let me let me look up their strength of schedule as well because I think that that is a big point that people should absolutely factor into the reason why they haven't like they they should be better than they are. So yeah, their their strength of schedule is the sixth weakest in the NBA to this point. Uh, Denver's not exactly like blowing teams out of the water with with the teams that they're facing so far, but they're about to get into muddy waters for sure. Uh, but you've also got the like you've got the Lakers at seven, you've got the Grizzlies at eight, Kings at nine, tied with Portland at five and seven. Uh, Portland still has a positive point differential despite the fact that they're five and seven. They aren't great. Um, and they're also kind of benefiting from one blowout of Phoenix, where Phoenix just wasn't great at that beginning, but they've now rattled off six in a row. Portland isn't good. Damian Lillard has not been good either. He's coming around a little bit, but he's still not good. Um, and you've got OKC at 11th, San Antonio at 12th, Minnesota down to 13th already. They've lost six in a row. 
the first loss in that streak against Denver, where they held Minnesota to 91. I really do think that Denver just kind of crushed their spirit, helped them remind them that they're the T-Wolves. And when Carl Anthony Towns had the quote where he said that a two or three losing streak, two or three game losing streak could turn into 18, 19, or 20 games real quick, that hits pretty hard. Like that is a that is a player who has been through the ringer, who has been through some bad times, and he's definitely in a bad mental space. Like they're not treating themselves like a good team. They're treating themselves like a bad team that just happened to start the season well and now has really fallen off. They started the year three and one, and they're now three and seven. That's bad. And the two worst teams in the NBA, the Houston Rockets and the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, Yeah, they both suck. Um, Houston is really, really bad. Denver barely beat them because their offense is really bad. But the Pelicans are somehow worse. Like they, They are just a debacle without Zion and Ingram. They look so, so bad. That's all I got. That that's uh, I feel like that's a pretty healthy run through for what's going on around the league. We have gone about fifty five minutes on this podcast, or pretty close to it. So should be very good. I hope that you guys enjoyed the content. And that is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to use promo code MHS if you sign up. Very excited to go see the Atlanta Hawks on Friday night, and I'll be podcasting after that game. So make sure to tune in if you do. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support. We'll talk to you guys this weekend.